0: Hey there, Cases and Controversies listeners. Jordan Rubin here. On the latest Sneak Peek episode, I mentioned a cool podcast that our environment colleagues put out on their show called Parts Per Billion. It's about one of the cases being argued this week at the Supreme Court, Atlantic Richfield Company, against Christian. It's a really interesting story, and so we wanted to bring you this bonus episode directly into your feed. So we'll see you, or you'll hear from us actually, on next week's Sneak Peek episode for the week of December 9th. But until then, enjoy this bonus episode on the Atlantic Richfield case. What does the word clean mean? The Supreme Court is about to decide. This week on Parts Per Billion, the stakes are really, really high for big industrial corporations and a tiny town in Montana. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Parts Per Billion. I'm your host, David Schultz. The first Monday in October is coming up, which is sort of a little mini holiday within legal circles. It's, of course, the day the Supreme Court of the United States of America begins its latest term. And today we're going to do a deep, deep, deep dive into one of the cases the court's nine justices will hear this year. That case is Atlantic Richfield v. Christian, and it has the potential to completely reshape the way we clean up polluted industrial sites. The central question in the case is, who gets to decide when one of these sites is, for lack of a better word, clean? Does the EPA have the final word on this? Or can states force cleanups to go even further than what federal law requires? This case originates in Anaconda, Montana, a town of less than 10,000 people in the southwestern part of the state, and the one-time home to a giant metal smelter. Bloomberg Environment Sylvia Carrignan went there recently and spoke to some of the town's residents about their case and their long-running battle to clean up their town. Sylvia says to understand why the Supreme Court is hearing this case now, you have to go back nearly 100 years.
1: We should probably start at the beginning. So Let's start at the beginning. The, the whole story of Anaconda, Montana is... Is pretty similar to the story of lots of brand new towns in the late 1800s. The mining industry was growing, and big companies built uh, smelters to make the mined ore into something profitable. Mm -hmm. And towns started to grow as the miners and the smelter workers moved in. And in Anaconda's case, the ore was copper, and the mining was in Butte, which is about 25 miles away.
0: And how many people were were living there back in the, you know, let's say...
1: Many more people than live there now. Oh. Um.
0: We'll get to why that is in a little bit, but so this town was created, literally created out of nothing to serve the mining industry, mm-hmm. and it lasted like that for a long time. And you've actually spoke with Carol Davidson and her husband Jim, and they talked about what the town was like and the role that the mining company had in the town. I mean, but
1: they they ran everything. I mean they took they took care of everything. They took care of the parks. They they had the water company. They let the city sewer run into the ponds. When they needed to put an addition on the hospital, they built the wing to the hospital and then would donate it to the Sisters of Charity. If a church needed land for to build a church, they gave them the land for the church. They helped subsidize the transportation system. You know, you had to pay five cents on the bus, but, um, they paid for the the buses for the schools yeah.
0: so this is a factory town like i'm envisioning this as like there's one employer and that employer controls the entire local politics and you know of that municipality is for that sure
1: yes and uh, carol and jim both worked for the anaconda company
0: right so what was were some of the the downsides to that from an environmental standpoint it's probably Hard to, to list them all, but that's one of the things that you saw is that this town is suffering from a lot of environmental problems that date back decades.
1: Right. So those environmental consequences started coming up right around the town, the time that the smelter started operating. So, um, this but like a hundred years ago. This was just about then, yeah. Right. But back when the smelter started, people sort of saw the pollution, the air pollution, the really dark dust that was coming down onto the sides of their houses and the roofs, they kind of saw that as a sign of a successful industrial town. Mm. So, for a while, um, people just kind of lived with it, but uh, there were some farmers, ranchers who were starting to see their cows and their sheep just keel over in the fields, and that's sort of when the lawsuits started.
0: Yeah. You, uh, and you also talked to Rose Nyman, uh, who moved to Anaconda when she was five, and she talked about what it was like back then, um, and just sort of the attitude of the people who lived there toward this, this big smelter.
1: When we were kids, we were raised by a generation of women who would say things
0: like, I just scrubbed the floor, get out of here, go out and play, or go up on the hill and play, and we would go up on the hill and play. <laughs> go into the hot stuff. (laughs) As I said though, as residents, I would doubt there were many who realized the danger. And what was the danger? Like, what was coming out of the smelter that that they were exposed to?
1: Mostly, it was lead and arsenic coming out of the smelter. Um, the smelter itself did contain a lot of the uh, heavy metal particles because it was so tall. It's about the size of the Washington Monument, so those particles would sort of travel back down the stack. But since it was so tall, all of those heavy metals got distributed over a very wide area.
0: Oh, I see. So it wasn't it wasn't just this town or the nearby towns because this. Smelter as tall as the Washington Monument, is that what you said?
1: About the same size, yeah. Wow,
0: that's tall. Um, It was a really wide area where you had arsenic and lead. I mean, that's stuff that can get into the soil and just stay there, and that's really really bad stuff. I mean, Rose talked about, you know, how this affected you when you were exposed to this kind of stuff. And sometimes it had a yellowish color, and it tasted and smelled like sulfur. That's the best way I can describe it. Mm -hmm. It... um, created a lot of phlegm in your throat and none of us had any idea how deadly it was. Mm. So when did government officials first start realizing how deadly this stuff was and and start taking action to, to correct it or try to correct it?
1: Well, the EPA didn't exist until about 1970, so it yeah. was a long time before there was real uh, federal action to try to clean up this stuff.
0: But there was something going on at the state level, right?
1: Right. In the 1970s, around the time that the EPA started, it was all the rage to amend your state constitution and include environmental rights. Um, And this was around the same time that Rachel Carson's Silent Spring came out, where she did mention um, the dangers of DDT and heavy metals in the air. And Concerned Citizens started putting pressure on Congress, and that's also where we got the Clean Air Act, that was in 1963, and the Clean Water Act in 1972. Along with that, there were some states, and uh, those include Illinois, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and eventually Montana, who thought that maybe the federal laws didn't go far enough. They wanted to add uh, environmental rights protections to their constitutions.
0: And it seems, you know, I wasn't uh, alive back then. i'm I'm actually quite young, despite how I may sound. <laughs> um, no, I wasn't alive back then, but I mean, from everything I've read, it sounds like this was like a revolution in thought or in like legal thought where it's like people were like, hey, Maybe, you know, economic activity isn't all isn't you know worth the sort of side effects and the side effects being lead, arsenic, you know, you name it. Mm-hmm. And people started to enact laws that said companies can't do whatever they want. There have to be laws about what they can emit into the air. They passed a pretty aggressive cleanup statute in the, the Constitution that they rewrote, uh, what did it say and what did it force companies to, to do in Montana?
1: So the delegates wanted the strongest possible provision that not only prohibited things like degradation, but also said that each citizen and corporations had a duty to improve the environment. So the language that they ended up including is the state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations. And that was adopted in 1972.
0: And then eight years later, you had the federal Superfund statutes, which essentially it does the same thing, but on the federal level. And I get the sense this site, this Anaconda site, is is one of the Superfund sites where it's a site that's contaminated and, and the company is working with the EPA to help clean it up.
1: Mm-hmm. So Anaconda is a classic example of a Superfund site. set. You've got years and years and years of industrial waste. Uh, people are worried that they're living on top of it or living near it and it's not safe for them. EPA comes in and tries to uh, deal with that risk.
0: And yet there are still a lot of problems. I think Mary Kay Craig sort of put it best. She's an uh, environmental justice activist in Montana. And here's what she had to say. Our 1972 Montana Constitution says that everyone, everyone has a right to a clean and healthful environment. And yet we've been 37 years in Superfund without getting that. So what went wrong? Uh, You have this constitutional amendment in Montana. You have the Superfund law. Seems like that uh, is meant, it's designed for places like this where you have industrial pollution over the course of a long period of time. And yet there are still these problems. Um, you know, why, why hasn't this been fixed?
1: Between the state laws and the federal laws, uh, Montana should have this great pristine environment and everything just looks, you know, looks like rainbows and unicorns. But <laughs> right. that has not been the case, in part because there hasn't been a whole lot of litigation surrounding that part of the revised Constitution. So there are not a whole lot of cases that are setting a precedent for this kind of thing. And so as we'll talk about, uh, cases that are coming up now are sort of trying that uh, provision for the first time.
0: I see. So it's not that, that the, the Constitution isn't being enforced. It's just that there's no, been no test cases. The, the courts have never really ruled on, you know whether the superfund law applies or the state law applies or you know which maybe both, maybe neither. Uh, It sounds like that's about to change, though. Uh, We're about to get a big case at the U.S. Supreme Court here in uh, D.C. that gets at this exact question. So what's that all about?
1: So just east of Anaconda, uh, still within the perimeter of this big Superfund site, is a smaller town named Opportunity. And the Anaconda Copper Mining Company created this place, too. They wanted to give uh, their workers a place to kind of settle down, raise some cows and chickens, maybe have a little garden with tomatoes and an apple tree, things like that. Uh, but there's not that much that's growing there now. Um,
0: Is that as a result of the, the pollution?
1: That's what the residents there think. Mm-hmm so sean houlihan is one of those concerned residents he's got an apple tree in his backyard and he's sort of uh wary of eating any apples off of it because he thinks they might be contaminated with the letter arsenic coming all the way from that smelter anaconda
0: yeah let's hear from him so i was born and
1: raised here Mm -hmm. didn't really think about it when they talked superfund i always thought okay the berkeley pit the smelter site you know the red sands the where the golf course sits never really thought you know about opportunity itself and it was when they started taking samples um that i started to get you know some some concern that's the thing that in the back of my mind really weighs heavy is you know i got a dog that's got tumors on her has had cancer his toe removed what am i doing you know with my son here
0: and this is supposed to be the site that that was not polluted and yet you have you still have these big problems here
1: right so the company was saying get away from the smelter life settle down out here they still had the same kinds of issues in their soil Um, the epa has gone in and taken out a top layer of soil from some of these yards and replaced it with sod or soil that is clean Uh, but people like sean are still concerned that maybe uh, enough of the contaminated soil wasn't removed
0: And so that, it sounds like, is the crux of this case, which is that the EPA determined you need to clean up this site, you know, Anaconda Company, Anaconda Mining Company, you need to clean up this site to X degree. And the people who live there are saying, no, we think they should have cleaned it up to 10X degree, to use some, you know, algebra terms there. (laughs) Um, And... You know, no one's really sure how that works. I mean, according to Superfund law, it sounds like what the EPA decides, that's the final word. That's the end of it. But then we also have this clause in the Montana Constitution that says, no, you need to clean this up to the point where it is actually clean. Mm -hmm. And which law supersedes here?
1: That's a big question. And um, that doesn't just come up in Montana. It also comes up at Superfund sites around the country. Usually residents and the EPA have very different definitions of what clean is. Uh, and that creates this constant tension between the federal government and the public and the companies that are cleaning this stuff up. So Sean and almost 100 other landowners in Opportunity sued Atlantic Richfield, which is successor to the Anaconda Copper Mining Company.
0: So now it's Atlantic Ridgefield.
1: They filed that lawsuit back in 2008. They've been waiting a long time for a resolution to this.
0: So let's talk about, Sort of, I guess let's finish up by talking about the stakes for both sides here. For Atlantic Richfield and then for all the companies that are in the same position as them. The stakes are, they really like Superfund law because it puts a cap on how much liability they can have. Or at least they know, okay, I have this much liability, I have to pay for this level of cleanup, but I know that. If they lose this case that number is like could be infinitely large right i mean they have no idea how much they'll have to spend to clean up sites
1: right so traditionally uh residents are not going around filing lawsuits challenging superfund cleanup decisions yeah. so if that uh if this case opens up that avenue there's all kinds of additional litigation that could happen at these kinds of sites and companies aren't necessarily ready to be open to that kind of liability
0: yeah meanwhile let's talk about the the stakes for opportunity you know, this is a a small community in Montana. It sounds like basically, you talked to Donna Shuey, who lives there, you know, they're hoping to maybe kickstart their tourism industry. You know, there's a lot of uh, towns nearby that are very similar to Anaconda that have, you know, great tourism industries. Uh, Anaconda, and I guess Opportunity itself, doesn't really, and Donna talks about why that might be.
1: We have this beautiful valley that if you drive 30 miles that way and 30 miles north, south, east or west, you're in some of the most beautiful areas that are comparable to Lake Tahoe, to a Coeur d'Alene, to all these beautiful places that have stable economies, that they, they have stable tax bases because they weren't a Superfund site. So, you know, for us here in Anaconda, if that smelter wasn't here, What would we have been?
0: Is it an exaggeration to say that the outcome of this case could determine the future of opportunity?
1: I think uh, if the landowners are getting what they are asking for, they could finally get some peace of mind. I mean, they've been living with this stuff for so many years, not knowing if it's really clean. Uh, Some people have moved out because of it. So they would finally know, you know what the deal is there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine it's kind of hard to like sell your house or to encourage someone to invest in a business in your town if the soil is covered in arsenic and lead and who knows what else and you can't get anyone to clean it up.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was driving around an opportunity, I saw a sign posted on a uh, stop sign and it said that there was a house for sale $39,000 cash. I mean, can you imagine, like, you would need to, you would have to want to really get out of there.
0: That was Bloomberg Environment Sylvia Carrigan speaking about the Supreme Court case Atlantic Richfield v. Christian. The case is scheduled for oral argument on December 3rd. You can find more of our reporting on cleanup and Superfund issues at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com. And if you want to chat with us on social media, use the hashtag partsperBe. That hashtag, once again, is PartsPerBee. Today's episode of Parts for a Billion was produced by myself, along with Marissa Horn and Jessica Coombs. Nicholas Anzalata is our audio engineer. The music for this episode is A Message by Jazar. It was used under a Creative Commons license. Thanks for listening. You probably have a lot of questions about the environment. Well, so do we. Are we talking like radioactive chemicals? We, is this becoming sort of irrelevant if the U.S. doesn't participate in this? What's going on here? How far did the Trump administration go? And Is mining really better down where it's wetter? Climate change, chemicals, water pollution, you name it. If it's in the environment, we're talking about it. Listen to Bloomberg Environment's official podcast, Parts Per Billion, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, get up-to-the-minute reporting at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com.